Hello, everybody. This week is Pastor Slach, and we're continuing to learn the halachas of eating meat after eating dairy, and this is part three. Last week, we discussed when does eating meat require you to wait six hours, and we said that regardless if you drank soup without chewing anything or you chewed meat without swallowing, you have to wait six hours. However, if you just put it into your mouth and regretted it and removed it, you don't have to wait. happened to my daughter last week. She tasted something, um, pleasure. She didn't like it, and she immediately removed it from her mouth. So she didn't have to wait six hours. She didn't swallow it, and she didn't chew it. She just tasted it, and it was, un, uh, it was un- unintentional. So you don't have to wait six hours. Another time you don't have to wait is if the meat has been altered. For example, if you swallow a kosher liver pill, something which, you know, when, when uh, the, uh, the fleshigs or the meat has been converted into something medicinal, you don't have to wait six hours. We also clarified that according to the Ramah, you only have to wait one hour, yet the overwhelming minig is to wait six hours, which the Ramah himself applauds as a proper chumrah. At this point, it has become an established minig, so it's more than a chumrah. It's something that everybody needs to do, as if it would be the, hala, the, the ikr halacha. However, there are two important points that arise from the fact that the ikr had in the original halacha is like the Ramah, which is that you don't have to wait six hours if you're Ashkenazi. Number one, what happens if you are, say, two hours after eating meat, and you by mistake make a shahakal on a coffee that has milk in it? And just before you drink, you realize, oh, I'm pleasing. I just ate meat an hour or two ago. What should I do? And you made a shahakal already. And once you made a shahakal on this coffee, having the coffee in mind, it doesn't help to eat something else. You have to, this is the thing you need to eat. Otherwise, it's a brachal of atala. So what should you do? So the answer is you should sip a drop so that it isn't a brachal of atala. Because since this isn't an ikra din and a brachal of atala is an authentic iser, you should rather taste some and have the bracha work rather than not taste and be over on a brachal of atala. That's number one. And number two, if someone is ill, a chayla she'en sakana means they're not deathly ill, but they're, they're sick, and they need to eat something dairy after meat. They can be lenient after one hour. And by this token, we are makal for children as well. If a child is less than four or five years old, there's really no reason to be makbed at all and they can have milk right after meat, but they should do kinuach and hadacha first, meaning they should eat and drink something else first, if possible. So if the, the, a baby up to four or five years old wants to have a bottle, and uh, it's after they ate flesh, they can. But they should try to eat and drink something else first, if it's possible. Otherwise, you don't have to make a big deal out of it. Once a child is older than five, or, they're like six or seven, so they are old enough for chinuch, and one can start being mechanach them as appropriate, and you don't have to start with six hours. You can start with less. And eventually you move your way up to six hours and every person can make that decision on their own how exactly they want to do that. For some, it might actually be easier just to just say six hours so that all the kids in the family are the same. Everybody can decide what the best approach is. But even at an older age, let's say even nine or ten years old, if a a child ate a little flesh, let's say you're on a road trip, right? So a child ate a little flesh, then then the child is hungry and there's actually nothing else to give them to eat other than dairy and they really are hungry. So you can be makele for them to eat it because a child's needs, when it's a legitimate need, is considered like a chayla she'en by sakana. Of course, they just want some chocolate. That's a different story. But if they really didn't eat much and they are fleshings and all you have to give them is, is milchings, 
they, you can give it to them even if they are older, like 9 or 10. There are some Paiskim who hold that if you, oh, and by the way, just one more thing, is that some people then also apply this further to a woman who is expecting, a woman who is pregnant also has the status of a chayla she'en besekana, she has the status of someone who is sick. So if she is fleshig, then it's an hour or two after she ate meat, and she really needs to eat something milchig, or that's the only thing she wants to eat and she's very hungry, she, again, there too, she's allowed to eat milchig, eat dairy, because she has the status of a chayla she'en besekana. So a, t- a real chayla she'en besekana can eat milchig less than to uh, an hour, uh, I'm sorry, less than six hours. A child, if they need it, or they're less than the age of chinuch, certainly, but even if they're older than the age of chinuch and they need it, they can also eat milk eggs and a pregnant woman. All fit into this exception of a chalashimbe There are some paiskim who hold that if you have slept a shinas keva, a real sleep, after eating meat, you may eat dairy, even less than six hours. So let's say, for example, uh, you eat meat very late at night. Sometimes that happens. Very late at night, you ate meat, and then you go to sleep, and you wake up in the morning, and you want to have a coffee with milk, and then you look at your clock, and you say, hmm, not six hours haven't passed yet since I ate flesh eggs. I went to sleep at uh, 2 o'clock in the morning, and now it's 7.30. Can I have my coffee? So so there are some that hold that that works. Just the fact that you had a shiranas keva, you slept in your bed, like a real a proper sleep, that itself equals six hours. And... Rabbi Yashiv Zatzal was reported to have said that if a person wants to be lenient, he has what to rely on. But this is really a, 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 um, a singular opinion among the Paiskim. The majority, overwhelming majority, hold that you can't do that. Even if you sleep, you have to wait six hours, and that's definitely the, the minig. So the person should not rely on this unless it's a very extreme situation. The obligation to wait six hours extends both to meat, to chicken, meat or chicken dishes, like soups or chalun. However, if something is merely cooked in a fleshig pot, and even if that pot had just been used for meat, right? So you, let's say you cooked, a, you cooked chicken soup in a pot, and that pot is very fleshig, and then you emptied out the chicken soup and you cleaned the pot, and then you cook the parava soup in that pot. So that parava soup won't require you to wait six hours, even though you cooked it in a pot that had just been used for fleshing. And even if you sauteed onions in that pot, even though the onions themselves are considered fleshing, the onions cannot be eaten with milk. They can't be eaten with, in, within a milk meal. So even if you sauteed onions in this fleshing pot and you cooked uh, a soup with them, they are fleshig, but they don't require you to wait six hours after eating them. So the, the reasoning, the rationale here is, is that waiting six hours is only after eating something which is considered meat. And it can either be real meat, real chicken, or it can be a meat or a chicken dish, you know, like a soup, a chicken soup, or a chalant. But something which is just cooked in a fleshig pot, so it's gotten the flavor of meat, but it's not really fleshig, or an onion that's been cut or sauteed in a fleshig cut with a fleshy knife or sauteed in a fleshy frying pan, it has a halachic status of fleshy, but it's not actually meaty. It's not actually a meat dish. And therefore, it doesn't require you to wait six hours, although it is fleshy. Again, you know, it is considered fleshy. You can't mix that into something milk because it'll become trace. But it was, doesn't require you to wait six hours after eating it. 
According to many Paiskim, even if some real meat residue or liquid gets into your food and it was unintentional and it wasn't meant to flavor the food, for example, in the, 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 the last case I just gave, you cooked chicken soup, you emptied out the pot, and you neglected to clean the pot. Not a very good practice, but that's what happened. You neglected to clean the pot before you made the parva soup. So your parva soup has some chicken soup in it. But that chicken soup was there inadvertently. It wasn't meant to flavor the parva soup, and it doesn't flavor the parva soup. It doesn't taste chickeny. So there also you don't have to wait six hours. That's also another leniency where if the, even if it has some actual meat juice or chicken juice soup in it, but it's not there to flavor it, and it was just there inadvertently, it does not require you to wait six hours. So much so that even if you, let's say, have chicken and you have some kugel on a plate and the kugel gets some chicken grease on it, you know, you can't see it, but some chicken grease got onto it, and you eat that kugel, not the chicken, you don't have to wait six hours there too because, the, again, the grease got onto the kugel. It's not meant to flavor the kugel. You don't taste it, so it doesn't require you to wait six hours after eating the kugel. So to summarize what we've learned here today is that eating meat, chewing meat, swallowing meat, swallowing soup, all of those require you to wait six hours, but if you just put it in your mouth, immediately took it out and regretted it, you don't have to wait six hours. Um, another two exceptions to this halacha would be if after eating something fleshig, you made by mistake a bracha on something milchig, you should taste it, so it's not a bracha vatala after an hour. And likewise, if a person is a chalashem basakana, which includes children, which includes nursing women, I'm sorry, pregnant women, if... Uh, any of those have a need to, a legitimate need to eat milchigs after an hour after eating fleshigs, they can be uh, lenient with that as well. Sleeping does not qualify as waiting six hours, and the obligation to wait six hours is only eating something that's actually meat chicken or a meat or chicken dish that's meant to be flavored by the meat or chicken, like a super challenge, but something that's merely cooked in a fleshig pot or even if it has onions which were sautéed or cut with fleshigs, although it has a status of fleshigs, it does not make you wait for six hours. Moving on to the parsha, the parsha tells us, parsha Slach tells us of the Meraglim, who were sent to spy on Eretz Yisrael and give, the purpose really was to give useful information to Kalei Yisrael, how best to conquer the land. And instead, they framed Eretz Yisrael as an unconquerable land, and they portrayed Hashem's desire to grant the Merit Yisrael as a suicide mission, the worst thing possible for Klai Yisrael. And this had a debilitating effect on the whole of Klai Yisrael, and they lost hope, and they began to despair. And as a result, they were condemned to stay in the Midbar for another 40 years until the new generation, the next generation, would enter Eretz Yisrael. There were 12 Miraglim, but of them, only 10 sinned, Yehoshua and Kalev, didn't fall into the trap, and they resisted the pressure of their peers. And they presented Eretz Yisrael as Hashem intended it to be presented, something achievable and worth the effort. Now, how did they resist the test of the Muradim? According to Chazal, it was not, impo- not possible for them to hold out naturally. They required divine assistance, Yatad Yeshua had a special assist from Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe davened for him and added a letter to his name. He originally was called Hoshea, and his name was changed to Yehoshua. They added a they uh, added a Yud to the beginning of his name. The addition of the letter Yud symbolized Moshe's prayer. Ka, that's Yud K, Ka, Yeshiacha, 
may Hashem should save you from the plan of the spies. Now, one might ask, if Moshe Rabbeinu was aware of what the spies were planning, then why did he send them? That's a discussion for itself, but in a nutshell, Moshe knew it was a bad idea, but had no choice. There are psukim and devarim that explain this. Now, it's a well-known fact that the letter Yud, which was added to Yehoshua's name, originated from Sarai Menu, who was called Sarai, until the Yud in her name was replaced with a hay, making it Sarah. And the Yud lodged a complaint. What kind of business is this, taking me out of a Tzedekis' name? And was reassured that it would have its place once again in a Tzedek's name in Yehoshua. There's a fascinating significance in the fact that the letter came from Sarah Imenu, of all people. But first, let's address another issue. Why did Moshe daven for Yehoshua, but not for Kalev? Wasn't he concerned about Kalev? Chazal said that Kalev had to find his own method of coping. He made a detour from the Muragam's route. He stopped off at the Ma'aras Hamachpela to daven at Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov's Kever. And that's how he persisted. But why did Moshe neglect him? Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky Zetzal says an amazing chat. He says that Moshe knew it wasn't necessary for Kalev. Why? Because Kalev was married to an extraordinary woman, none other than Moshe Rabbeinu's sister, Miriam Hanaviyah. That was Kalev's wife. And the truth is, it seems from Chazal that Yehoshua wasn't even married at all at this point. And he only married later to Rachav after they conquered Eretz Yisrael. He didn't have the protection offered by a wife, whereas Kalev did. So Moshe wasn't worried about Kalev. It's now increasingly fascinating, if you think about this, that Yehoshua was essentially saved through the power of a woman as well. He received the Yud of Sarah Imenu. Kalev was saved by a woman, his wife, and Yeshua was saved by a woman, spiritually, the Yud of Sarah Imenu. What's the significance of this? If we look into this further, we see that the women of the Midbar didn't fall for the Miraglam. They didn't die in the Midbar, as did the rest of that generation. Rashi says this in the end of Parshas Pinchas, on the Pasuk, Uve'ela, and there were no men who were originally counted by Moshe and Aaron when they were ready to enter Eretz None of those men were there. And Rashi comments, there was no man, but there were women, because the women weren't included in the decree of the Miraglim. He writes, the women loved Eretz Yisrael. The men said in this week's parasha, let's appoint a leader and let's return to Mitzrayim. The women loved Eretz Yisrael, and they requested a portion if they were entitled, as did the Bnei Tzlafchad later on in Parashat Pinchas. The Medrash says that actually the only woman to die in the Midbar was Miriam Hanaviyah. And why did she pass away? The Medrash asks this question and gives two answers, which basically had no, it was through no fault of her own. It was, it was just necessary that she shouldn't enter Eretz Yisrael for other reasons. And that's astounding. The singular woman to pass away in the Midbar was Miriam for unrelated reasons and no fault of her own. That means every single woman was righteous and entitled to enter Eretz Yisrael. Every single man, with the exception of Yeshua and Kalev, did not withstand this test and was denied entry into Eretz Yisrael. So we could speculate about this and approach it from different angles, but Chazal already gave us a key. They, they write that the women loved Eretz Yisrael. They were and the men did not. So why was that? The Mepharshim adds depth to this difference. I saw this in Sefer Yalkut David by David Posner. It was reprinted in 1879, but it originates 
way back to 1691. It's an old Sefer. And he quotes this from various Mepharshim. He says that they say that the women were tsanuais and they were righteous. As Chazal testified that only Shalom Espaz Divri sinned, and even her was inadvertently. Eretz Yisrael has very low tolerance for immoral behavior, and therefore the women who were tsanuais and they were tzedekais, they were sherois, they identified and they loved Eretz Yisrael. But the men stumbled with Znus, as we see later with the women of Midian. They wanted to return to Mitzrayim, and Mitzrayim was a place that was teeming with Znus. And therefore, they didn't withstand the test of the Miraglo. That's what he says. So let's try to understand this. This should be understood as follows. The test of the Miraglum was whether Klal Yisrael was willing to take the spiritual risk of entering Eretz Yisrael to benefit from the tremendous growth potential they could achieve in Eretz Yisrael. Starting with the Miraglum themselves, who were fearful of losing their status quo position in Klal Yisrael, and they didn't want the challenge of reestablishing themselves spiritually in Eretz Yisrael. And Klal Yisrael as well weren't ready to take on the Nisayan, the test of living in Eretz Yisrael, and holding on to the high level of Ruchnius that, that, that would be expected of them there. The men preferred the life with the Nisayanists they were accustomed to, struggling with, which they had been struggling with in Mitzrayim. They wanted to return to Mitzrayim, meaning to say, to continue serving Hashem in the way that they were used to. Eretz Yisrael was very unforgiving. If, a Klai Yisrael, if Klai Yisrael sinned there, they were immediately held responsible, and they suffered consequences. When Achan, a single man, did an aver of stealing the booty of Yerichai, they immediately lost the next battle. And Klai Yisrael wasn't ready for this kind of perfection, this level of service to Hashem. So yes, in the Midbar they were also required to be perfect, but in the Midbar they had the assistance of eating, man, spiritual food, surrounded by Nanaha Kavid, not having any need to work the land, work physically, and being in the constant presence of Shekhinah and pursuing spirituality. So there they could, they could deal with that. But in Israel they would be living a physical life and still expected to maintain that level of spirituality. They were frightened. That's what it means they were looking to return to Mitzrayim and they weren't which means their love of Hezbollah wasn't enough to, to, to overcome this fear. The women, however, were ready to take on the challenge of Hezbollah. The women loved what Hezbollah had to offer in Kedusha and in Tahara. They weren't afraid of the challenges that Hezbollah had because they had the key and the confidence to triumph. What was that key? That key was Tznius. We see throughout Tanakh that the primary downfall of the Jews was always one thing. They were influenced by the nations. First, by the nations which remained in Eretz Yisrael and hadn't been eradicated, and then by the surrounding nations. The women had the tools to keep those influences at bay. That was the Yud of Sarah Imenu. She set the first example by throwing Yishmoel out of the house. That Yud is what gave Yeshua the power to withstand the test of the Miraglim. And he was ready to take on the challenge of Eretz Yisrael. This was the influence of Miriam and Kalev, and truly was part of what she demanded of Moshe Rabbeinu in last week's Pasha, that he not separate from his wife. And that was the power of each and every holy woman in the Midbar, to keep the holiness inside and keep the Tumah outside. They knew that Eretz Yisrael would assist them in their quest for Kedusha and Tahara, 
provided that they stayed strong in their position of Sneers, and they were excited. They were They were looking forward to move forward and grow. And the men were fearful of that. And that was the, the separating line in between every single man and every single woman in the midbar, and that is the power that gave—that was the power that Yeshua and Kaliv had to be able to withstand the test of Miraglim. Yeshua, the Yud of Sarah Imenu, and Kaliv from his wife Miriam. An amazing, amazing thought from Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky and the Mufarshim. Have a good night and a wonderful Shabbos.